Good morning, everybody. If we haven't met yet, my name is Maddie, and as Pastor Dennis said, I get to serve here at the bridge as the assistant pastor, and I am super duper excited about today. Now, before we move forward, I am going to acknowledge the elephant in the room. You might have noticed that PD and I are matching. It's the pastoral uniform for the day, so <laughs> that's why. Um, I'm quickly going to check the chat room, as PD does, to see um, who got this right. And I might be a little bit ahead. So I see that Joanne Kim was the first one to say it was Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. Um, Derek Dancer said what Joanne said. That's awesome. And Grace Lawyer said ditto. ditto. Um, uh, yeah, it is. It is Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. Now, you might be wondering why we played that little Name This Christmas hymn game, and I promise soon it's going to make sense. Uh, and what's more is over the next few weeks, we're going to get to play this game a few more times. So if you need to brush up on your Christmas hymns, now is the time. You're welcome. You've gotten a heads up. Um, I'm excited that we get to kick off our Christmas series today, a series that coincides with the Advent season and the Advent calendar as we get ready to close out what has been a roller coaster of a year, one that has been challenging. Um, and so as we get ready for Christmas, I'm excited that we get to um, uh, use this series as one of the ways that we just direct our hearts to who God is and what he's doing in the world and at the bridge at large. Over the next few weeks, we're going to get to enjoy Jesus through his word and our prayer is that though we know that this season might be hard and challenging for a number of reasons, our prayer is that the name of Jesus, the truth and grace of Jesus, uh, surpasses all the darkness, the confusion, the distraction, the fatigue, and the disappointment that we might be feeling because of what this year has brought or because of any other reason. The truth is that Jesus is more beautiful than 2020. Jesus is more beautiful than all of that stuff. And what's more is that Jesus is uh, just as faithful on our greatest day ever, um, and he's just as faithful in our worst year ever. And that's, uh, that's a promise of God. That is something to hold on to. The scriptures call him our wonderful counselor, our returning king. He is our prince of peace and our everlasting hope. Now, Christmas is an, an exciting time of year for many, many reasons. Families and friends get together after being apart for a while. Christmas food is yummy and it's warm. And in most households, it's kind of exclusive to the holiday season. So that's exciting. Gift exchanges are fun. People get to give and receive gifts. And I know for me, one of the biggest things about that is just being able to pick out and give the right gift and seeing somebody else's uh, look on their face when they receive it because you know that they love them and they, uh, they know that they're loved. Um, and though we don't experience it here, some people get to experience snow uh, and that's exciting for them. No judgment there, but... Um, let's just say I'm glad to be preaching from sunny California this morning. And even in sunny California, look what I've got on, right? <clears throat> Christmas decorations, families make that into a tradition, and that's a big thing, and people have a lot of fun with that. And, um, and Starbucks comes out with a different drink every year, their, <laughs> their annual drink. 
whether it's the peppermint mocha or the eggnog latte or the chestnut praline latte, whatever that is, it can be a stressor going to Starbucks this time of year. And obviously, a classic element of Christmas that never goes away, that's always there, is the music. Now, somebody say, there's something in the music. Now, because we start hearing about Christmas music and we start uh, tuning into it on the radios and everywhere else, pretty much right after Halloween is done on, on November 1st, by the time we actually get to Christmas, there's a good chance that we're tired of Christmas music. Uh, but somebody say there is something in the music. Over the next few weeks, you're going to listen to a series of messages that are going to help us excel in the love of Christ. And one of the ways that we're going to explore that is uh, by looking at Christmas hymns and Christmas music. Now, songs are awesome because there is so much to gain from songs on, on a very, very uh, just normal level. I can play um, a song or a piece of music from a popular movie scene, and as soon as you hear it, your mind instantly goes right to where that scene is because there is something in the music. I think about, for me, on a, on a more personal note, for me, the moment that I uh, came to give my life to Christ and accept him as my Lord and Savior was during a song because there's something in the music. I think about some of the songs that have been written right here in this church, the Bridge Church. A song like What His Heart Is, written by Pastor Dennis and the living legend Dale Becker. (laughs) And by the way, congratulations to Dale Becker on his first Latin Grammy win. I think about the song What His Heart Is that they got to write together. And as they were writing that song, Pastor Dennis and Mia were pregnant with their fourth child at the time, and Pastor Mia had to spend almost 40 days in a row in the hospital because of certain complications with the pregnancy. And out of this moment, out of this season uh, that they spent, this song came forward, a song that is about trusting God in the midst of adversity and not knowing what's next. There is something in the music. More recently, we got to experience a song uh, together for the first time, a song titled Yes and Amen. Now, this song, written by our very own Ryan Fretchel, is a song that um, revisits and recounts some of the testimonies, some of the the good things that we've seen uh, where God has shown us his mercy. You guys have stood here, some of you guys have stood here right where I am and shared about how God has been good to you, how he has set free, how he has delivered, how he has promoted, how he has given you a future and a hope. And out of the stories that have come out of this church, this song came about. There's something in the music. The music, the tone, everything about it is inspired by real things that happen to real people. And most importantly, because of a real God. A closer look at a song will allow you to see what the songwriter was seeing, what they were thinking, how they were feeling, and maybe, most importantly, what truth they were sharing with the world. So, as we tell the story of Jesus and the hope that he brings through music over the next few weeks, I want you to remember, even if you're tempted to get tired of Christmas music, there is something in the music. With that said, again, shout out to everybody in the chat room who got it right. 
let's talk about a song. Specifically, let's talk about a hymn. A hymn that we got to listen to. I'm talking about Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Listen to these words. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim that Christ is born in Bethlehem. I promise that part rhymes when you're singing it. Hark the herald angels sing, yes, glory to the newborn king. As I got to uh, study this song a little bit further and look into it in, in, in getting ready for this message, there's a line there that stood out that kind of becomes the theme of the song and the heart of what the songwriter was trying to share. And it's the line that says, peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. If I had to title today's message, which I did, it would be God and Sinners Reconciled. When we look at the life of Jesus, this is exactly what, to, what we get to experience. Mercy, God and sinners being reconciled. I got to have um, a conversation over this past Thanksgiving break with someone, and um, I just went around the table asking What's your favorite thing about Christmas? I had an agenda because I wanted to share some of this stuff here. Uh, but they didn't know that. And so uh, my favorite thing that I heard was that um, Christmas reminds someone of God and his love. And when we do it right, we go into Christmas acknowledging, remembering, and receiving God's love. So when we look at the life of Jesus, mercy and so much mercy is what we get to experience. The psalmist David, he knew of mercy. He tasted God's mercy. And in Psalm 40, verse 11, he says this, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and faithfulness will ever preserve me. We get a firsthand look at Jesus extending mercy to somebody when he calls a tax collector to follow him. We see this in Matthew chapter 9 from verses 9 to 13. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. I did not pick Matthew because of the name thing, I promise. Uh, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Clearly, COVID wasn't a thing back then, so they had more than six or 12 or however many gather in that place. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the important thing to remember here, for those of you who don't know, is tax collectors back in the day were seen as these greedy, um, horrible, uh, men who were willing to take money out of the Hebrews and the Jews 
who supposedly were giving it to the Roman government, but they were keeping a little extra change for themselves. So anybody who wanted to be a tax collector in this time, they weren't doing it to make their communities better. They weren't doing it to provide for their families in an honest way. They were doing it because of a love for money and because of a certain greed that was associated with that uh, profession. And so tax collectors just across the board were these hated and despised men. And as Jesus is sitting with one of them, these Pharisees who were pretty much Jesus' haters back in the day, these religious and devout men who thought they had it all together, who were hoping to catch Jesus slipping or to catch him uh, doing something wrong so that they can uh, discredit him and discount him. These people say, why does your teacher eat with sinners and tax collectors? And when Jesus heard it, verse 12, but when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. God and sinners reconciled. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20 say, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God, all the fullness of God, all the mercy and the grace and the compassion of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Making peace by the blood of his cross. God and sinners reconciled by the blood of his cross. Mercy, defined by the uh, English Oxford Dictionary, mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish, harm, or forsake. I got to witness um, mercy firsthand over the past few weeks. Leading up to Thanksgiving, my wife, Jenny, who just has the biggest heart on earth, um, she loves animals. She loves animals. And a few weeks ago, she came across this little puppy dog, probably about two weeks old when we found her. From what we could tell, this puppy had been either abandoned or malnourished for a while, and she was... Um, on the verge of death. We took her to, Jenny took her to um, the vet as soon as she could, and they gave her a very, very low chance of survival, and they even offered to put her down for us. Um, but the truth was that the second Jenny saw this puppy, um, she had mercy on her. She had compassion over her, and this mercy got her to say, no, I'm going to give it my best. If, if, if she doesn't make it, that's fine, but I'm going to give it my all uh, to see her back um, healthy and happy again. So she brought this puppy home, and she started caring for it, uh, and she cared for it uh, in our home for about three weeks, which is illegal because we're not allowed to, ha allowed to have dogs in our apartment, so I hope our apartment manager isn't watching this. But she got to nurse this puppy almost from the point of death, back to health. And over that course, over the course of the three weeks, I got to witness how inconvenient, how messy, 
how much of a hassle and how um, it just how hard mercy is and how, how hard mercy can be. Yes, even mercy on a puppy, on an innocent puppy. But then when we compare it to the mercy that we get on the cross, I think about how inconvenient it was for Jesus, how hard it was for Jesus, how messy it was for Jesus, and how much of a hassle it was. And yet, when we look at the life of Jesus, this is the kind of mercy that we receive. He extends his mercy and offers us this reconciliation with God. The Apostle Paul, you know, he knew of God's mercy. And um, the Apostle Paul, he ends up writing like uh, pretty much half of the New Testament. But before he starts writing any of that stuff, he was actually a man who uh, was after Christians. He was after Jesus followers. He was appointed by some of the people, that the city council, and whoever confessed to be a Jesus follower, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, before he was an Apostle Paul, was uh, in charge of arresting them, in charge of potentially leading them to their death because they followed Jesus. And on a mission, while he was uh, sent to this place called Damascus um, to arrest and to get Christians who worship Jesus, on his way there, he has a moment with God, and in that moment gets to experience God's truth and God's mercy. That single moment completely changes his life around, and today we know him as the apostle of grace because all he talks about is God's grace and God's mercy and God's goodness uh, that he's shown over us. In 2 Corinthians, that man, Paul, writes, he says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Now, in our culture, mercy has this very emotional connotation where uh, at times it's cute or it's sweet or it's nice to be merciful and to forgive someone and extend compassion to them. Can you imagine that? Cute, to be merciful. But biblically speaking, if we uh, take a closer look, mercy is exclusively judicial. God has mercy on us because of the role that Jesus plays. God doesn't all of a sudden get emotional. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh my goodness, I'm just going to forget their sins and their iniquities and their shortcomings and their failures. I'm just going to let it go. That's not why he's got mercy on us. That's not why he's got reconciliation with us. No, he does so because and only because Jesus paid it all. Only because Jesus took my place and Jesus took your place. Jesus took our place on the cross extending his mercy. In the story of Jesus going to the cross, there are so many things that make you go, what is happening here? Why aren't people thinking? Like, you know how sometimes you'll be watching a movie uh, or a show, and there's a character who just makes one bad decision after another, and they do it over and over and over to a point where you want to just walk away and leave, but you're stuck there watching it because you just, you just have to know how it ends. <laughs> or when your favorite sports team 
just decides to have one of those days where their one objective is to annoy you because they just keep doing the wrong things. And Jesus going to the cross, that's kind of how it feels. Everybody seems to be doing the wrong thing. And you go, what is going on? Why doesn't anybody open their eyes and see what's going on here? In that story, though as messy as it is, and as annoying as it can be to take in, I can't think of a better illustration of God's mercy than this specific instance uh, when someone receives it. This man's name is Barabbas. We don't know too much about him. We don't know... uh, what he was doing around when when Jesus was uh, feeding people and everything. He doesn't enter the story. Then he enters the story um, in in the moment when Jesus is arrested. What we do know about him is he was arrested for being a thief and a murderer. He was a leader uh, of a rebellion against the Roman government. Essentially, he was a thug and somebody that, uh, that is somebody whose actions had led him to being in prison. This guy was a threat to the Roman government, and he was a threat to any Jew who lived within the city that he was in. Now, Pontius Pilate, the fifth Roman government who presided over the Roman uh, province of Judea at the time, is faced with this incredible moment. Two men have been arrested. One man is Barabbas, this man that I've just described, this thief, murderer, this crook. The second man who's been arrested is Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the light of the world. And he thinks to himself, I've got the destiny of these two men in my hands because I'm the judge. I get to decide what happens to them. And he says, I know that the Jews have a tradition where on a holy day, they release one prisoner. More specifically, they release one prisoner on death row, and that prisoner gets pardoned for good. So Pilate finds himself on the hottest of hot seats, on the most audacious stage ever. Who gets released? It's Jesus, son of the living God, against Barabbas, a thug and a rebel. So he asks the people, who do you want? Who do you want? How is this even a question? Jesus shouldn't even be here in the first place. This man is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be jailed for the safety of others. He's a man who's led a rebellion against the government. He's a man who has murdered, stolen, and endangered others. There's almost a guarantee that if this man gets released today and he goes back and starts living within the society, there is almost a guarantee that this guy is going to continue doing the exact same things that he was doing. He deserved the chains and he deserved to be on death row because of what he had done. But Jesus, what has he done? What has he done but heal? What has he done but forgive? What has he done but open blind eyes and and open deaf ears? What has he done but have amazing barbecues and picnics? (laughs) It shouldn't even be a question, who do you want? In Ephesians 2, no matter whether, whether it was the Romans or, or, or the Jews, they should have seen Jesus because Ephesians 2 describes Jesus as, as the one who came and preached peace to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Two uh, cultures, two races that have been divided by centuries of animosity. Jesus comes and he offers a way, he offers a brand new way, a reconciliation with God. 
And yet the question remains, who do you want? And the people in the court say, we want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. And sure enough, the Roman soldiers grab their keys, they walk over to Barabbas, and they set him free. Now, in Scripture, there is no record, there is no collection of Barabbas turning to Jesus and saying, it is you that is freeing me, it is because you're going to go to the cross that I get to be, to, to live free, that I get to walk as a free man. There is no record of him saying that. And it's easy to think that in that moment, it was the love of the people that set Barabbas free. But when we think again, it was the love of God. It was the mercy of God. In truth, what ends up happening is Jesus gets treated like the murderer and the crook so that the murderer and the crook could be treated like a son of the Most High King. When we do it right, this is what we remember about Christmas. I know what I've told you is not the traditional Christmas story, but Christmas does kick off redemption. It kicks off God extending his mercy once and for all to you and to me. What's more important is Barabbas is not this character who interrupts the Bible for a second to just annoy us. Barabbas is a perfect representation of who I am and maybe who you are. Barabbas is me. Barabbas is you. Barabbas is us. And that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to take, to take on that audacious stage over and over and over again. Every time you and I have failed. Every time you and I have sinned. For the wages of sin is death. But Jesus every single time says, no, you get to be treated like a son of God. And I'm going to go to the cross. When we do it right during Christmas, we remember of the mercy that is given to us, a mercy that is available to us. The arrival of Jesus is the arrival of God's mercy. God's mercy delivered through an infant, through an innocent child. I love Christmas because it kicks off the greatest redemption story, the greatest mercy story ever. Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Maddie and God reconciled. Pastor Dennis and God reconciled. The bridge and God reconciled. Bridge family, my prayer today is that we leave this video, this, this moment that we have together. Uh, my prayer is that we leave it remembering the kind of mercy that has been extended to us. An inconvenient, messy, but everlasting mercy. The scripture talks about how his mercies are fresh and new every morning. And because we have freely received mercy, we can freely give it. My prayer is that we greet each and every single day between now and the end of the year and beyond that as things get challenging, as things get hard, and as we're tempted in our little family circles and, 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 and at work, as we're tempted to be annoyed by everything that's going on and we're tempted to react, my prayer is that we remember God's mercy so we can extend mercy to the next person. My prayer is that we greet each day with a merciful attitude. And that we don't withhold it from anyone. 
freely, freely receive, so we freely give. Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. This is important to remember as we navigate through the last few weeks of this year. How many times this year have we been presented with the opportunity to extend mercy and forgiveness, but we failed? There's mercy for us. With the world being surrounded by a cloud of darkness, how many times did we have the opportunity to be the light of the world and the salt to the earth as as we're called to be in Matthew 5? And yet we failed. There's mercy for us. How many times did we fail to love our neighbor as Jesus commanded us to? There's mercy for us. My prayer is that Today, tomorrow, for the rest of this year and beyond, we begin to take in God's mercy like we never, ever have before. And we start extending it to others like we never, ever have before. And you might be at a point in your life where you're like, I've, I've never really understood God's mercy. I've never accepted it. And today you're saying, um, this is the day where I'm going to choose to accept God's mercy and I'm going to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, I mean, this is what we live to see here at the bridge. Hearts reconciled to God. People accepting the mercy that Jesus has for us. And so let us know so that we can celebrate. You can, we've made it easy for you. You can simply text the word celebrate to 66866. um, and, And we will continue to lift you up in prayer and celebrate you. And... As I think of, as I mentioned before, as I think of mercy specifically as it pertains to the bridge, um, God's been so merciful to us. That song that I referenced earlier, yes and amen, those testimonies, the, uh, the stories that we've been able to tell here, stories of uh, God removing tumors, stories of God allowing those who were uh, compromised to beat covid Stories, um, stories of marriages being restored, and so much more than that. I could, I could be here for another 45 minutes trying to recount and retell all the things that we've seen. But the truth is that God's mercy has been upon the bridge. His mercies have been fresh and new every morning towards the bridge. And so over the next few minutes, we're going to get to um, watch and listen to and take in a recording of that song uh, it was just recorded last week from right here where I'm standing, and we're going to uh, get to take it. And as we do so, I invite you to, again, consider to take in, to receive God's mercy um, like it's your first time ever feeling mercy, receiving, understanding mercy. And from that place, extend it to your family, friends, coworkers, everybody in your life. Pastor Dennis likes to say, uh, where we live, work, play, and learn. Let's extend mercy there. Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your everlasting mercy. We thank you, Father, that your mercies are fresh and new every single day. We thank you, Lord, that there is nothing here on earth. There is nothing 
that can separate us and remove us from the mercy that you have made available to us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for taking our place. We thank you for teaching us a better way. We thank you, Father, for the mercy that you have shown the bridge. And more importantly, Father, we thank you for the mercy that is going to begin to flow out of the people of the bridge. We thank you, Lord, that through your mercy, people's hearts are being reconciled to you. We thank you, Lord, that through your mercy, people are turning their, their hearts back to you. Father, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.